This week's episode marks the continuation of my conversation with Richard Flack. If you haven't tuned into part one, I highly recommend doing so. It lays the groundwork for much of what we delve into in this installment. In this concluding part of our conversation, we delve into camera settings, custom setups, and uncover details about Richard's mentorship program. As mentioned in part one, what truly captivates me about these episodes is the opportunity to explore the essence of the person behind the lens. I trust you'll find this discussion engaging and leave with a renewed sense of inspiration. My name is Adam, and I'm the host of this proudly South African birding podcast. This podcast is your number one source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. Bring new life into your garden with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a wide variety of wild birds to your garden. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store. Westerman's, for the love of birds. So let's continue with our deep dive chat with Richard Flack. So Richard, when we were talking about the whole thing of mastery and you know that that approach that you've been doing for years and years and years, one of the things you mentioned, so let me give a bit of backstory with this here. So I, I was uh, really fortunate. I've got a, a, a Canon R7 right now, the mirrorless, fantastic camera. Um, the lens I could afford was the 600mm little F11, F11 uh, lens. The limitation on the F11 lens, like any photographer will know, is is the F11. So what I f- what I was finding was was that my photos were getting a lot more noise in them than I wanted. So I had a I was I was frustrated. My photos were not what I wanted, and had a chat to Richard, and Richard said to me that he suggests he recommended that I that I shoot an aperture priority, which I've gone to, and it's been fantastic. But here's the thing, I've spoken about this idea with a lot of people and not to say that you have to do aperture priority and even you said that you said that's not the only way there is other ways but you know when I've spoken to them it's almost like (laughs) everyone's like no 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 like almost the idea that almost true photographers shoot on manual if you're not shooting manual you're not a real photographer I want to be controlling all my settings on the camera you know aperture priority you know what what the, the 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 things that people have said to me, for example, have been this. Well, first is I want to be in control of everything. That's fantastic. Another thing is, oh well, obviously you're not too worried about your shutter speed because your shutter speed's the main thing. So you've had all these things that that, that come up as you bring that up. So explain the thinking behind shooting aperture priority. And like we're saying, just as a disclaimer, this is not the only way. There are other ways to do it, but just to give this perspective so people can hear it from what you're thinking behind it. Yeah, I mean. Maybe it's just worth taking, you know, just a couple steps back because I think it's, yeah, as you say, I think there's different exposure modes that you can use. Um, I see the benefits. Each one has benefits, right? Um, and I think certain exposure modes may be better based on certain environments and, and what you prioritize in your shooting. And so I'm, I'm very careful. I don't... Uh, rate myself as the most technical photographer in the world um, and I, I just really stay open to learning because uh, I've definitely met I've even got to teach some photographers that I think are way more technical than me um, so yeah that's that's the disclaimer up front Adam and I definitely think there's more than one road to Rome and if I had to emphasize you know one thing is that yeah, it's good to know what each 
mode does, what each exposure mode does, um, you know, whether it's aperture priority or shutter priority or full manual mode. Uh, there's also now a thing in uh, mirrorless cameras called flexible, flex, I think it's called flexible mode or um, FV, uh, which yeah, I guess it gives you the best of all worlds. You can flick between aperture priority, shutter priority and manual mode. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the best one. Uh, I think for me, though, it's kind of experimenting to start out with is just checking which one makes sense for where your skill level is uh, at present, what kind of environments you're working in. You know, is the light changing a lot um, or is it quite consistent? And then, you know, reading about the different modes and deciding, you know, for your, for example, your speciality, if it's birds and they're moving and they're constantly moving and the light is changing all the time, you know, that might influence which mode you choose. Um, you know, undoubtedly, when you speak to landscape photographers, they're manual mode. Um, but, you know, I've chatted to a lot of professional bird photographers that are aperture priority, but there are some that use manual mode and swear by it. Uh, there's also some wildlife photographers that I respect that use shutter priority. Uh, I think it's just choosing the one that you think fits your, um, uh, you know, approach or where you're spending time best, uh, and then practicing and using it and becoming proficient at it. And then I think you should judge the success of your choice by the consistency of your. Your images, you know, are, are you producing the images that you want? Are they as consistently good as you want? Because um, if they're not, then you know sometimes it is worth investigating. Do you, is your camera set up correctly? Are you using the right? And it's not just exposure modes, right? It's you know, are you using the right metering mode? Uh, are there other things? Are you using back, back button focus or just front front button? You know, there's various things that can help you, or may help you become more proficient at getting the shots that you want. So, yeah, I, I think for me, I have become very, I guess, proficient at using aperture priority. Uh, but, you know, I think it's what's become more important for me is learning how light uh, impacts, you know, ISO, f-stop and shutter speed. And I think that's the biggest learning. Uh, you're going to need to learn that whether you're using any one of those three favored ones or, or flexible um, mode, uh, you know, understanding how light impacts what ISO you use, how that impacts what shutter speed uh, you have, and then understanding how your f-stop um, can reduce your shutter speed or, or increase it uh, are important. Uh, you know, these things let more light into your camera or less light, which starts to impact different things and, and impacts your exposure. And so I would encourage people to understand yeah, the kind of the purpose behind them and, and then get really good at assessing that when you're in the field. Um, so, you know, my, yeah, my management of exposure, uh, yeah, I use aperture priority to do that. Uh, I absolutely am incredibly conscious of my shutter speed uh, when using it. Uh, I don't like blurry birds, but yeah, I've just learned to adjust my f-stop and my ISO to get the right shutter speed. So if there's anything that I will look at, I will check where my shutter speed is, but I'm normally, I think now I've got a pretty good read on where it is. And because my environments are, I'm often walking and I'm walking from shade into sun, you know, I'm changing my ISO uh, 
quite a bit to make sure that my shutter speed's where I want it. Um, yeah, so I, I, again, it's just that's something that I'm very comfortable with. I've become, yeah, I guess happy with my results. Uh, but yeah, not to say that if you can use manual mode and, and use it effectively and as quickly, um, you know, no doubt you have more control and can potentially get better results. Uh, I, yeah, I just haven't gone there. I'm not sure it will improve my consistency given what I focus on and, and um, yeah, just where I'm at. And I think any change I make now takes quite a bit of months to get as confident and comfortable with it. So I've got to be just a little bit more careful to change modes all the, you know, every time I think something could help. I do, however, think this um, uh, flexible mode could be quite interesting uh, because, you know, I absolutely use shutter priority when I'm blurring waterfalls. Um, and there's definitely a time to use manual mode. Um, you know, I just, I find it's probably more helpful where there's a consistency uh, in your light and in your scene and you don't have to make very quick changes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see how someone could master that and it just becomes second nature. Um, but yeah, obviously more challenging. So I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that to someone, you know, kicking off. And I think our conversation actually, um, Adam, was more about using auto ISO, if I, I'm not mistaken, because uh, you were using auto ISO and, and just acknowledging that F11, that auto ISO might think that it needs to be very high with F11. I could kind of think that that might be why you were getting more noise than you wanted. And that's why I said maybe, you know, switch to aperture priority because then you're at least controlling your ISO. And what I like about that is then you you can absolutely set limits on auto ISO, but I, I like controlling my ISO and knowing exactly where it is and, you know, how much noise I'm, I'm letting in. I don't like that to be a surprise at the end of the day. Um, yeah, but again, it's, it's down to, I guess, what your preference is and, and what works best for you. So it's probably gets back to knowing your camera number one. We've spoken about that already, where it almost becomes an extension of your arm, understanding your camera. Um, so we like, and I said this to this person: if I had a different camera in my hand, I might have a different conversation. That's the first thing. Understanding your camera, I would say, would be a, a good starting point. Another thing I think is uh, possibly important is understanding what results you want. What are you photographing? And you know, this was part of the conversation we had. You know, in terms of the ISO and everything, and you know. The conversation I had with the, the one guy, I got a picture of a, um, a Bartel Godwin on the beach and I was lying down on the sand and I wanted the bird to walk up to me. I wasn't trying to get a, a flight photo. I wasn't, if the bird flew, I wasn't, I wasn't after a flight photo. I had a Pacific photo in mind and I think my shutter speed was um, 320 or it was like 1.0320. It was like quite low, but what I, I made a decision to bring the ISO down uh, to 800, which obviously affected the shutter speed, but there was a decision-making process behind it because if the bird flew, I didn't care. I wasn't trying to get a flight photo. I literally wanted this photo of the bird walking up, which means I could bring the shutter speed down a bit, which which I, and I think that sometimes which that sometimes also I would say it's it's what are you, what are we, we we spoke about that when we were having the conversation. What what are you? What are you looking to achieve with the photo? Because there's different photos that you can possibly bring your shutter speed down a little bit. Yeah. Um, if yeah. you are doing flight photography, you've got to, you, then you're obviously going to have to bring your ISO up because you obviously have to get the the, the shutter speed up. And it's understanding that triangle. It's really just coming back to that little triangle. And there's more than one way to bring your shutter speed up. Yeah, maybe let's talk to that. I mean, I think just for, for anyone listening, I mean, I think we, most of us know, but the exposure triangle has your ISO, your f-stop, and your shutter speed. 
And I think for me, uh, shutter speed means if it's too low, I blur my bird. <laughs> um, my ISO means if it's too high, I introduce noise. So I'm very, depending on which camera I'm using, I'm conscious of when my camera introduces noise. So when the ISO goes past a certain number, it's going to bring noise. I like knowing that because then I can make a key decision like you did. You know, It's like, oh, I can shoot this at whatever, 3,200, but I, I know I'm going to have some noise. So I'm going to rather, because I'm taking a portrait, I'm going to bring it down to 800 because then I only need a shutter speed of 1 over 200 and above. And especially with the image stabilization on cameras these days, you know, that's going to give you a sharp portrait. So you, you made a conscious decision based on that triangle. And, you know, the other thing to remember is that triangle is going to determine your exposure. And, you know, you don't want to overexpose or underexpose. And that, again, you know, comes with understanding light and understanding, like, what you need to do to your settings to get all of those things to work for you, you know, based on what you're shooting and what you want to achieve. And so, you know, I also use exposure compensation to, to tell my camera sometimes where I want it to go. Um, yeah, and I think that just comes through practical implementation. Uh, you know, you, you take that learning, you know what that triangle is going to do and what it's, what problems it's going to cause, and then you decide which one you want to prioritize. So for me, I, I don't want to go over my noisy ISO, which for my Canon R5 is about 6,400. You know, beyond there, I, 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 you know, if I'm going to make that choice, I know I can't necessarily enter that into a competition it's just going to be too noisy um and i would say you know the authenticity of the image can be questioned because it's just it's got more noise than just a little right and uh so that, that's a decision making process for me uh and so you know i start the day if, if anyone's interested i start if i'm using my 600 prime lens i start at f4 and i, I start at 6400 iso and then I watch my shutter speed get up to where I can take portraits. And then when I can take slow moving birds, which is about one over 2000. And then when I can take uh, fast moving birds, which is probably more one over 4000 uh, of a second for your, your shutter speed. So I, I'm incredibly focused on knowing what my shutter speed is doing. Um, yeah, and as the day goes by, then I adjust things to improve the quality if I think I can. Normally, I'm trying to get my f-stop from f4 to about f6.3, because if you think your f-stop determines whether your bird's going to be in focus or out of focus, or what things in your fore, you know, foreground and background are going to be in focus, um, and that's important. You know, I think improving your image quality, you don't necessarily want to blur the leg of your bird. Um, you probably want your full bird in focus. So normally around 6.3, 7.1 is where I want to get my f-stop. So I might leave my ISO um, a little bit higher and increase my f-stop, you know, if the light improves and my shutter speed's still good. So I think it's just, it's really understanding that and then making decisions based on the mode that you've chosen, uh, making good decisions to get the shot that you want. Um, yeah, I think each mode, as I say, has its, has its benefits. So when you mentioned the word noise there, because this is something I hear again and again and again, people say, ah, I don't care about noise. I can just pop it in and there's post-processing post -processing that can sort the noise out. What, is, what would you say to people like that? Because there's some truth around that, but what would, you, what would, what would be your answer to someone like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally cool. Uh, I think it just depends on, on your objectives. I think what I love about artificial intelligence is that it's, leveling the playing field um and i love the story i've got a, a just a really a close friend of mine is in um, 
lives in Cape Town and he just got to a point where he couldn't hold a, a DSLR camera. Sorry, and I'll answer this question through this. But uh, he, yeah, he just, he just couldn't, it was just too heavy for him. And so he moved to a bridge camera and I could just see he was just not himself. And I think he'd just been discouraged because for him, he, he always wanted to be able to print an image and sell an image and put it in a gallery. And I, I think just the quality of the bridge camera was just, yeah, lower than he wanted, you know, for that purpose. And, um, yeah, we, my wife and I are good friends with, 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 um, with them. And we went, yeah, we went to go and visit them. They just moved down to the Cape. And uh, I spent a morning with him. And, yeah, I just felt to really encourage him. And, and I just said, you know, go ahead and, and just use your bridge camera and then let's get back home and I'll show you what artificial intelligence can do, you know, because his objective was not about in camera entering in competitions he just wanted to be able to clean the noise and create a sharp image of a landscape he's taken it so that he could send it to the galleries that you know he's done in the in the past and um yeah i just loved how artificial intelligence whether it's topaz or other um, systems you use to denoise you know to reduce your noise and, and, and sharpen your images effectively yeah just breathe life into his you know into his, his hobby and his passion again and so yeah i think we need to be careful about just like yeah, making judgments on what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I think in terms of if your objective is you want to be known for your authenticity and you want to show images that are in camera and you want to be recognized internationally in competitions or by other photographers, well, then you might feel that authenticity and in camera is important and it will definitely be so if you want to enter competitions uh, you've got to give the raw I think you know if it's too noisy and you've used too much noise reduction most judges can see that and if they can't they'll definitely pick it up in your raw and um, you know it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a great image it's just probably not as great as someone else's image which is equally as beautiful but was done in camera so I think, you know, what artificial intelligence, yeah, there's many, I guess, negatives to it, but, you know, there's huge positives in terms of leveling the playing field. And then, um, yeah, I think driving, I think there's just, I get a sense that there's more of a, uh, a desire to for authenticity. I think because artificial intelligence is able to create images, you know, <laughs> on its own. Uh, I've seen like a, a like I guess a move or a swing towards just wanting to know that images are in camera and that you know just the level of post processing has been somewhat minimal. Uh, I love what Ray's doing on uh, Instagram at the moment. Is he's showing his um, before and after. Uh, I do that in my mentorship program and I think it's such a cool way of just showing people like what it looked like in camera and then what post-processing you've actually done. Um, you know, I think for the guys that are out there looking to be authentic and, and recognized internationally in that way, um, yeah, then, then too much noise reduction becomes a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I love the challenge of trying to create something in camera, but I also realize that, you know, not everyone can afford the most expensive camera. Uh, and might not be able to achieve, uh, you know, that ISO performance. So I love that that uh, technology also just levels that, that they can still produce just as good images and now use uh, a program to to beautify them and, and, and hang them on their walls so, uh, and, you know, and achieve other outcomes. As always, the Burning Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part, 
download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. You know, you've been talking about that, uh, you know, basically controlling your uh, your exposure and that type of thing. On the R7, there's a little button on the back or a little knob that I've kind of set to dialer that you can use that when I'm looking through the camera I can kind of use it just to play with my exposure if I want and you know one of the things I think when when I first started photography I didn't really think about it but a lot of the top photographers and I would guess just that maybe you do also um, you know set the set the buttons up customize the buttons how they would be what they would be looking for do you customize your buttons and is that something that you think was maybe a good thing for photographers to look into is customizing the buttons on their camera to achieve what they want when they're taking the photo to simplify the whole process yeah i I mean absolutely i think best practice would probably be i mean customizing your button and setting up back button focus and and yeah i think if if that's something that works for you and and you can do it uh, um you know yeah, that's interesting because I think some, you know, I just don't write anything off these days. I think some people's hands make back button difficult. And, and yeah, then it's just finding which back button works for your hands. But, you know, if I had to give someone um, advice, I would encourage them to to do back button. So that would be setting, you know, certain buttons to do different things. And I think absolutely having shortcuts makes sense, right? Um, yeah, and I think how much you want to do you know, funny, I think best practice would probably be having both, having two back button focuses, one for with portrait settings and one with flight settings. Um, I still use my front button focus for portraits just because I'm so used to it and it works. Um, but, I, you know, I don't advise other people to do that. It just works for me. <laughs> I don't think it's a, the best way of doing it. Um, yeah, but I, I think, and that's probably the same with customizing different buttons. You know, if you're using exposure a lot, uh, and it's easier for you to set one of the buttons that you know you can push that and then just move it with um, your joystick or whatever. Well, then you're know, awesome. Uh, um, I think if it helps create consistency and it speeds up your ability to take the shot, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. So um, over the past few years, you've uh, been featured quite a lot in the African BirdLife magazine. Uh, I've got one of the editions next to me here, and you know what I've noticed is there's been this. You've you've used your photography not just to sell prints and courses and that but a lot of your photography has been used to promote conservation and that kind of thing so for people that are out there and this is something that I've been really thinking about is how can I use my photography to you know promote conservation make people make people aware of the birds around them how can people use their photography to to make a difference so go beyond just snapping photos and getting Instagram likes where where they can the photos that they can actually stop making stop making a difference in the world. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, mean, I think there must be m- many different ways. I, I guess I can only speak speak to the ways that have become real for me. Um, and I think there's so many different aspects to to conservation. Um, it's interesting. I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with just um, yeah people at African parks uh, being involved with. Um, businesses that are doing um, city uh, transformation uh, in South Africa and, and just, yeah, and why I mentioned that the sort of um, 
city development or, or, or transformation is because conservation and looking after, you know, people around uh, parks has become one and the same thing. So community development and um, conservation are now hand in hand. You know, if we don't look after the communities and drive growth within the communities, well, it's going to be very hard to protect and conserve the wildlife in our national parks. And so if you look at conservation from that perspective and you think, well, what can my photography do to, yeah, just make a small difference, whatever difference that is? Um, well, you know, you can use your skills and knowledge as a photographer to train local guides. That's a huge passion of mine. Um, I've very, um, yeah, I haven't been r really too eager to, to do lots of tours. I don't want to be away from my family, but uh, I also just, yeah, I, I feel I wanted my tours to be aligned to, to what I love and what I'm passionate about. And so I think for me, you know, I, I may do a tour next year and, and very likely the year after, but the reason I'm keen to do them is uh, because the owners of the areas that I'm going to um, you know, are really behind empowering their guides and, and supporting the dreams of their guides. And, and that really excites me. I, 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 yeah, I'd love to be part of that. I, I ultimately would love to do tours and I'd love to replace myself. Um, so I'd, I've got a couple of guides now that, yeah, I feel if, yeah, I can just spend time with them, um, train them on how to see the way photographers see, hopefully get them sponsored equipment um, you know, that maybe that can make just a small positive difference and that can, yeah, just create greater earning potential for them and, yeah, just give them the confidence. And I think that's often what we need to transform communities is uh, role models um, that can teach others and can model, um, you know, awesome things to their community. So, yeah, that, that's one way is using our skills uh, in a way to uplift um, and then I think it's just understanding the power of, of photographs. Uh, and, and I think that's, yeah, I've seen how great photographs do tell stories. They do drive awareness and they, you know, absolutely uh, create an emotional response. And so I'm not sure just every image does that because I think there's such a proliferation of images uh, on the internet. But I, I think, you know, I think people underestimate what sometimes their images mean to other people. Um, I, I'm always encouraged when someone just says, sure, you know, I, I'm not able to travel. I'm housebound and, you know, it's just lovely to live through your images and they always put a smile on my face. You know, that's driving awareness. You know, that's evoking emotion in someone. And I think if you take that further and you're able to link it to a cause, you know, the plight of uh, an endangered bird or, um, habitat destruction and you can start using your images to tell stories that um, will, you know, I guess invite action, well, then you can start having a positive impact on conservation. And, um, yeah, I think like, uh, yeah, seen that tangibly. Um, I think I've seen my images drive, I guess, tourism or foot traffic to destinations. Um, uh, yeah, I just had the fortune of being able to actually like prove the value that, uh, you know, a well done portfolio can do for actual feet on the ground. And so, you know, tourism and foot tra traffic and birding tours and photography tours are, are, are a way of creating um, sustainability for conservation areas. So, yeah, I, I think just understanding how if you can 
master your craft, produce great images that will catch people's attention. And that's why I encourage people to learn and decide for themselves what does that. You know, that can drive tourism, it, it can drive awareness, and it can also change behavior. I think if we define great images as images that are, it's what's called instrumentalism. Um, it's images that provoke a reaction or get people to hear your message. Well, then that can sometimes also drive behavior. Uh, that's what artists used to do often with political messages. And so, yeah, I think those are the things that, that, that I've seen and how we can use our images to do that. I think photography competitions is another example. Uh, if you've got a story to tell and that image is good enough to be recognized internationally, well, then you get put on CNN and BBC and, you know, everything else and you get to tell your story. Um, you know, I think one of the, you know, I guess early examples of that for me was when I spent time with Blue Swallows here in um, Rosen's Nature Reserve uh, and just seeing how, yeah, a different photograph of a blue swallow, uh, you know, one that shows showed the bird's white armpits, which uh, those little feathers are used to line their nests, you know, just made a big impact. I think it reached a million people. And I think Nathan had 30 to 40 photographers arriving at his site to pay to photograph them. And I think that helped, yeah, just helped him through COVID and helped him afford uh, the necessary to maintain their, their breeding ground and, and, you know, pay staff during really tough times. And so I, I think I've seen firsthand, you know, how images can you know, make, make a positive difference. So, and I think that's really encouraged me to keep at it. Last year, I think it was last year, might be the year before you launched the, your mentorship program. So, Tell us about this mentorship program. It's really exciting. I've been following uh, Melissa Whitecross's pictures and just watching her journey as an outsider has been absolutely exciting and just to see her growth as a photographer and just her perspective. So tell us about the the mentorship program, um, what people can expect, what makes a difference to other programs and, and how people can get involved. Yeah, thanks so much, Adam. I think we've probably spoken quite a bit about my heart already behind it and the things that I I try and achieve with it. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, um, yeah, I guess probably not an orthodox necessary way to build a, a, a mentorship program, but I really just looked at what I would have loved to know um, at the beginning of my journey. And I looked at the things that made a, a big difference. Um, and I think also just the things that, yeah, that, that I, I feel I can add value in. So I, I don't, yeah, I share like I have uh, on this podcast and, and, and do it with my participants. Uh, I share with them, I guess, how I go about managing exposure and how I set up my camera. And that's really just important to me so that they just, you know, if there's things that they want to learn from that, that, you know, then they know what I do and they at least know what, has given me at least what I feel are consistent results, <laughs> although it's an ever, you know, I mean, it's, you can always improve. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't really teach the technical side of, of setting up cameras or the technical side of post-processing. I really just focus on the things that, that just made a significant difference and built my confidence. Uh, and I think I've realized I love teaching. And so the program, I, I just, I guess I didn't do it on purpose, but I just see how a lot of photography training is videos on, on YouTube. Um, and, you know, you kind of get Facebook feedback. And, yeah, I guess I just wanted something more personal because I really wanted to see people grow. And uh, 
part of that is I guess I don't send my boy Joshua to school to watch videos and get Facebook feedback. So, yeah, I just thought about how I could take my learnings and, and build it into a program that would hopefully, yeah, give the result of, of people's confidence building and them growing. So, yeah, that was really the, the basis of it. Uh, um, it's, yeah, it just looks at... Uh, why you do what you do, which is a, just a wonderful coaching session just to, yeah, just ask a lot of questions and that often starts to help photographers find their style and who they are as a photographer and gives them some, you know, often just conviction about, you know, why they're doing it in the first place. And then I um, talk about exactly what we referred to earlier, what what is considered great art. And I just look at different, different definitions of that. And I don't... Um, convince people to go with what I think makes great art. I just give them the options and then I just share with them what at least it is to me. And then how I've seen people create it consistently and, and I share not just the techniques, I think it's more the practical experience, uh, you know, and the actual practical application of the theory that that has helped. I think you would, you'll get that from Robert Greene's mastery book. You need someone to kind of almost show you so that you can mimic them or tell you how they've done something so that you can replicate that. And then, you know, then you can really practice it. And so, yeah, the program's quite similar. I give the, the theory practical applications and then I actually give the the participants homework <laughs> I, I don't mind it's not my job to see if they do it or not but uh, absolutely if they do the homework I, you know I, I see more growth in those that do it than those that don't because I think you know you've got to take the what you've learned and start applying it and, and yeah with and I've just just been blown away just by yeah I guess just the relationships I've built has been awesome um yeah just yeah, just yeah, that in itself has been awesome. Is I've definitely come away with friends from from the program, and, and you know, stay in touch with everyone and just see how they're going. But yeah, I, I, then the other thing I teach is um, what I call the essentials, and that's probably the common mistakes, or, or it just really creates sets a foundation for composition design. I um, teach composition and design. I, I, I feel you know, there's so much focus on the guidelines, but often not the context. Like, why are we using leading lines? And, um, you know, why is color important? And how can it be used to tell stories and, and create an emotional response? And so I think, yeah, providing, and, and you know, it's complex. So, yeah, it's, a, it's three hours of, of, of teaching and then some practical stuff afterwards. And then uh, I just take people through my post-processing workflow um, yeah, as I said, I don't teach the technical side. Uh, um, it's just, yeah, it's not a, not a passion. But I think it's just confidence building to show people what I do and, and so that they know what I do and that they can at least feel comfortable, um, you know, going forward. That, yeah, I don't, I don't do a ton of post-processing, um, yeah, which I think is quite, yeah, uh, interesting for, for most. I think the only time that I have to apply my mind is when I'm shooting, you know, proper landscape shots and I've got a rainbow in the background or I've got backlighting, you know, landscape photographers will know that creates, creates a, you know, you've got to decide where to expose. Um, and so you do need to use post-processing a little bit more to actually create an authentic representation of the scene in front of you. Um, so I've had to I've had to up my skills a bit, Adam, but I also just yeah I also take people through that, and so I actually use a combination of Photoshop and Lightroom, and then I think the interesting part of that I actually then show them how I use what I've taught them from a, the essentials composition design and my post processing how I actually go about choosing my um, 
portfolio or competition entries. So I just make it really practical. And uh, yeah, I showed my, my latest um, participants, got to see my uh, yeah, chosen image selection for, for competitions this year. And then yeah, really just tell them why like, and, and show the application of um, theory, you know, the, the analysis I go through. Uh, and I also just show people, you know, I always thought to be a judge of a competition if the results got leaked and someone said, well, why did you score me a two star of five? I just felt from an integrity perspective, I'd want to have a very good answer. And so I also just take people through how I go about assessing, you know, a framework that I use to, to, to judge um, that I think, you know, is consistent and fair. There's obviously always subjectivity in these things. And so there is 10, 15% of subjectivity. And that's normally what, you know, what makes the unique great wow images. But a lot of the way I judge is on a very clear, yeah, it's a clear framework. And um, yeah, so I also just share that with them because some some participants really want to know how to get better at getting, and, and funny, it's not to win the competitions. It just gives them influence in a platform to share their heart or their purpose. And, and yeah, I, I absolutely loved um mentoring uh, uh, Melissa she's just such a she, yeah just such a star to mentor and yeah just awesome to see her confidence build uh, and yeah my highlight was now she just did a talk on her photography journey and that was one of her yeah I think next steps coming out of the program but yeah I just saw such growth in her imagery and I think that's how I see if I've done my my bit is if I can see tangible growth um, yeah so it was awesome uh, to see hers and uh, yeah and then I, I do uh, talk teach creativity uh, how to set the table uh, then I um, do a portfolio session so we put together a portfolio uh, um, between each other which is really awesome because um, yeah I look at their portfolio and I actually edit the photos um, without uh, really looking at their edits and then we compare notes and I tell them why I did what I did and they tell me why they like their images and what they did and why they did it and it's kind of a great combination of just um yeah the teaching we now have a common language and we can talk to each other and we can share feedback in a very uh, non so i don't um critique images during the 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 program i um yeah I ask questions so once i've taught you something uh, I, I then will ask questions about your photograph you know does do you see this does it bother you uh what would you like to do differently and i find that's a much more effective way um to get yeah, just build confidence and grow people than providing criticism. And um, yeah, so far the, the results have been good. So I'm definitely going to continue doing that. And then yeah, I just have a final session where um, it's really open-ended and it's a coaching session for the participant. So uh, Rich, for those that would like to um, get more information about the mentorship program or the workshops you do, or just get in touch, how is the easiest way to make contact with you? Yeah, just um, welcome to drop me a mail. Um, yeah, I think I go about things a little bit differently. I, I love just meeting anyone before we do a workshop or, or you know, even look at um, doing a mentorship program. I think because one, I just want to make sure that I know their expectations. Uh, I think it's also really important that we meet and that they, you know, that we're going to have fun together. And I think... Um, I haven't met anyone that I, I don't think will have fun together, uh, but I think it's more for the other person, just that they'll be comfortable. I mean, you spend um, the programs, you know, online, it's at least 14 hours. <laughs> so I want to just make sure that they enjoy my company and I can be authentic. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I've got emailers that I can send if anyone, um, you know, wants pricing or stuff like that, um, and I can send it to them. 
Oh, that's awesome, Rich. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Uh, this has been, since episode number one and two, this has been the first two-part episode. So yeah, one and a half hours of birding, bird photography information, and it's been fantastic. I mean, I think for anyone who is passionate about bird photography, just about birds in general, I think this has just been a very valuable time and I really appreciate you giving up your time, not just talking about photography, but just being vulnerable, sharing a, about your story. And it's been fantastic. So Rich, it's always been good and I can't wait for the third the third part of this uh, to come out along the way. Um, looking forward to coming up and spending some time with you and having a chat sometime and just, yeah, maybe doing something doing something in person, um, face-to-face be quite cool. Um, looking forward to that. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much. Uh, I just appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, we've definitely got to make that uh, time to get together and be in person. Uh, I know that I've got, yeah, I would love to have you on my, my workshop at some point. So, yeah, we've definitely got many conversations ahead uh, and a you know, friendship to continue. Uh, yeah, love spending time with you and getting to know you. And, yeah, just such a privilege to be on this program. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.